Hello, good people. Happy New Year. It is 2019. It is a new year that is true for everybody. And I hope you had a wonderful Christmas, a wonderful holiday season, a great new year. Uh, my family did. We were in Chicago visiting my family and uh, spent a few days on the farm that my mom grew up on in Wisconsin and got to spend my birthday, which is a couple days before Christmas, with my twin brother. It had been seven years since we got to share our birthday together, so that was fun. We have the same birthday, in case you were wondering. Corey and I got a date because Grandma was around to watch the kids, so we went to P.F. Chang's, which is one of our favorite places, and then went to see Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, which was a really good movie. We got a family date. My grandma went with us. We saw Mary Poppins, another good flick. I took my daughter on a date to eat at my favorite pizza place growing up, and we had a blast. My brother and I took uh, my son to see his first Chicago Blackhawks hockey game, and so we were all over the place. We took the train downtown, saw a lot of old friends. It was uh, a really good time. We flew back on New Year's Eve, got off the plane. It was like negative five wind chill in Denver, uh, but then a couple days later, we're playing outside at the park in short sleeves. Uh, and then New Year's Eve, we were all exhausted. Kids went to bed. Corey and I made it up until the late hour of 9.30 and then went to bed. And it was just a really great break. But we are back. And so here we go. This is what's true for everybody. Experience number six. And I'm calling this one the best time to plant a tree. The best time to plant a tree. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about a little bit about Chris Farley and then New Year's resolutions and why I don't really like New Year's resolutions and then why I really do like New Year's resolutions. And then I want to talk about a line I heard a long time ago from Michael Jordan when he was getting interviewed by Ahmad Rashad. Uh, I want to talk about a line I heard from a teacher recently and then we'll look at a quote uh, from Thomas Edison. And then at some point in the middle of all this, we'll get to a passage at the beginning of Romans 6 and a story from the Gospel of John, uh, which is in the new, both in the New Testament. So here we go. Uh, first, Chris Farley. I recently read a biography on Chris Farley called The Chris Farley Show. And it is, man, it's, it's a really good book. It's, it's funny. It's sad. Uh, it's about Chris Farley's life, and he, a lot of people who knew him well get interviewed in this book. And uh, at one point, it tells the story of how, remember in Tommy Boy, uh, Fat Guy in a Little Coat, that scene, that sketch, it talks about how that actually got in the movie. Uh, Saturday Night Live offices, Chris Farley, they would make each other laugh. Chris Farley would put on David Spade's coat, who was also in the movie, Tommy Boy, and he would start saying that, fat guy in a little coat, and uh, at one point the coat ripped, and that's how it got in the movie, because they thought it was funny. After Chris Farley uh, passed away, David Spade is getting interviewed, I forget what talk show it was, but he starts talking about this story, and how Chris Farley would be behind David Spade as David Spade was sitting at his desk working, and <laughs> would often have... David Spade's coat on and would tell David Spade to turn around and then Chris Farley would be there with his coat on. And so this one time, David Spade's not falling forward. He's like, no, I'm not turning around again. This is stupid. And Chris Farley said, no, I promise I don't have the coat on. This is about something else. And so David Spade 
turns around and there's Chris Farley in David Spade's coat and starts singing Fat Guy in a Little Coat. And then Chris Farley looks at David Spade and he yells at him and he says, that's funny, don't you quit on it. (laughs) Don't you quit on it, Chris Farley said. Now, New Year's resolutions. How many of you made a New Year's resolution? And if you did, what is it? What's your New Year's resolution? I actually made a couple of them. One is I want to write for about one hour a day for at least four days a week. I want to write. And, and whether that's writing something for this podcast or, or uh, writing just to get some creative energy out of me or just writing for the heck of it, that's something that I want to do. And this includes any sort of study that I'll do in order to write. So that's one of my New Year's resolutions, to set aside an hour at least four times a week to to write. And my second one is this. And this is something that my spiritual director recommended to me, uh, to keep a gratitude calendar. And so I got one of those regular kind of hang-up calendars you put on your fridge, and it has a box for each day of the month. The box is, I don't know, an inch by one inch. And so not very much room, and just maybe to spend five minutes at the end of the day to reflect on the day, and then to write a couple things that I was grateful for for that day, to think, to think about them, reflect on them, thank God for them. Uh, so I'm hoping to do that I don't know, at least five times a week. So those are my two New Year's resolutions. Um, having said that, here's my problem with New Year's resolutions. Here's why I don't like them sometimes. Those of you who made a New Year's resolution how many of you knew what your New Year's resolution was going to be before December 31st? Before December 31st. How many of you knew what your New Year's resolution was going to be? I did. I did. Uh, And here's my problem sometimes with New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolution is often a delay in making a healthy change. It's often a delay to make a healthy change. Here's what I mean. Uh, it's, it's Christmas, the Christmas season, and we think to ourselves, man, I really need to eat better. <laughs> and instead of starting to eat better now on the actual day, you think this to yourself, while, of course, still allowing yourselves a few extra desserts during this Christmas season because uh, tis the season and we're not going to necessarily be dogmatic about it when we're enjoying time with family and friends and in a unique season in the year, Uh, but instead of actually intentionally starting to eat better on that day, we allow ourselves to eat like garbage every day for the next couple of weeks because it's not January 1st yet. I need to to eat better, but it's not January 1st yet, so I'll wait on that. Or maybe it's Thanksgiving time, and we think, I should really start exercising. And instead of starting now to exercise, and get in shape, and doing the best we can in the midst of the holiday season with traveling and gatherings and being around friends and family, uh, we tend to let ourselves be lazy about it for like over a month from the end of Thanksgiving through the end of the year because it's not January 1st yet. Have you ever done that one? I need to start exercising, but you know, it's not the new year yet, so so I'll wait on that. Or it's, it's June, 
and we realize it would be healthy for us to clean up our language or to stop lying to the person who trusts us or uh, spending more money than we actually have, and we think, oh, you know what? That would be a really good New Year's resolution. I think I'll start that into six months because, after all, it's not January 1st yet. What? No, no, no. Yeah, that would be a fine New Year's resolution. But, but you know what better resolution that would be? That would be a better today resolution. It would be a re- better resolution for today. Uh, there's an old proverb. Maybe you've heard it. It goes something like this. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. <laughs> Have you heard that one? The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. It's a wise proverb. There's nothing in there about waiting until January. Every day before New Year's Day, every day before New Year's Day is a better time to make the resolution. Sometimes New Year's resolutions are excuses to delay health, and I bet you know what I'm talking about. I've done this, and I imagine you have too. Now, here's why I do like New Year's resolutions. How many of you got a little pumped up for your New Year's resolution? I did. How many of you got a little pumped up? You, you thought about it, you concocted it, you reflected, and there is a newness and an excitement to New Year's resolutions. It's a new year, a new change, a new growth. It's, it's a move forward, it's an intentional bettering of yourself. It takes reflecting and dreaming and making a, an actual choice to do something about it. You know what it's like? It's like a death and resurrection. I want to do away with that old piece of me, and I want to replace it with a new, better piece of me. And death and resurrection, by the way, is the pattern of Jesus. The old is gone, and the new is here. There's a passage in the book of Romans, chapter 6, which is in the New Testament, where this writer Paul, he's just talked about how grace is the reigning factor in our new life, he says, in Jesus. And side note here, what we need to know about grace is that it is a gift that we don't earn. We simply get to accept grace and let grace change us. So anyway, Paul says that grace is what it's all about. And then in the first, that's the end of chapter five, and then in the first few verses of Romans chapter six, Paul says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. He calls it a new life. Paul says, because of grace, we get to live, you and I get to live a new life. And when you think about it, isn't that kind of what the new year and resolutions feel like? It's like the chance to wipe the slate clean and to live a new life. I like that. That's why I like New Year's resolutions. And Here's the reality of it all. We're human. Newsflash. You're human. I'm human. 
And here's another question. How many of you have already failed to keep your resolution? (laughs) My hand's in the air right now because I have. I told you that one of my resolutions was to write for one hour a day, at least four days a week. Uh, Tomorrow is my last chance for the first week, and I've done it twice. So if I do it tomorrow, that would be three times, which is not four times. So I've already kind of fallen short of my New Year's resolution. What, we're only a week into this. How many of you have already failed to keep your resolution? But here's what I want to remind you of. Failing at the resolution isn't necessarily a problem. That's going to happen most likely. A, because we're human. B, because we have lives and things come up and whatever. Things don't always go how we think or plan they're going to go. The problem isn't failing at the resolution. The problem is that the first or second or third time that we eat what we said we wouldn't eat or we get to the gym two times instead of four times during the week or we didn't take the amount of time we specified to pray or to be still or to meditate or we didn't write for as many hours as we said we would the first week of the new year. Oftentimes when that happens, the resolution easily turns into a guilt trip on ourselves. Have you ever experienced that, the guilt trip? We feel like, or we believe that we stink, or we can't do it, or we're losers, and then we just give up. And so now, not only was the resolution a delay in health, because we thought about it three months ago, but now we give it up, and it ends our health early. So the question is, what do you do when you don't keep your resolution? What do you do when you fall short of it? Here's what you do. You begin again. That's what you do. Begin again. And you begin again as many times as you need to. This, again, by the way, is also a pattern of the Jesus follower. Here's what I mean. Uh, There's a passage in John's Gospel. Uh, There's a part in John's Gospel. This is chapter 13. John is the fourth book in the New Testament, one of the four stories or accounts of the life of Jesus. And in this particular spot in John's Gospel, Jesus predicts his death to his disciples, and then he tells Peter, one of his disciples, who I often call the disciple on Red Bull because he's all over the place, Jesus tells Peter that Peter is going to turn his back on Jesus before Jesus dies. Peter tells Jesus, I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, Oh, really? (laughs) You think so, huh? He says, actually, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, which isn't that far away, you're going to disown me three times. Three, by the way. Not once, not twice, but three times. Three is a very significant number in the Bible. Jesus rises on the third day. God is three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And of the 12 disciples, three of them were closest to Jesus, one of which was Peter. So can you imagine the heaviness Peter must feel when Jesus tells him, hey, you're going to disown me three times in the next few hours, which, of course, Peter does. So now we're into John chapter 18, and verses 26 and 27 uh, talk about the latest, the last denial, the last time Peter disowns Jesus, the third time. Uh, John writes this in his gospel. One of the high priest's servants, 
a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. <laughs> That's another story. Peter got a bit antsy with his sword overnight. Well, we can talk about that another time. But John writes, One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him, being Jesus, in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, because this is now the third time Peter denies it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. So Jesus is killed, and on the third day, he's resurrected. And I bet after Jesus comes back to life, that Peter had a bit of a hard time looking Jesus in the eyes. And then you get a few chapters later, the end of of John's gospel, John ends his gospel with a story of Jesus reinstating Peter. This is chapter 21 now, and the story is in verses 15 to 25. Uh, Take a look at it later if you want. It's interesting and good. Jesus asked Peter this question in the passage. He says, do you love me? So this is after Jesus predicts his death and after he tells Peter, you're going to disown me three times. After that actually happens, then after Jesus is killed and comes back to life, Peter do you love me? And Jesus doesn't ask Peter this question once. He doesn't ask it twice. He asks it how many times? Yes, three times. And after he asks us three times, Jesus essentially tells Peter to get back in the game and to take care of his sheep, which is another way of telling Peter he's forgiven. And John writes in the midst of all this that Peter is hurt that Jesus has to ask three times, hey, Peter, do you love me? But I imagine at some point, the light bulb goes off in Peter's head and he thinks, oh, I get it. He asked me three times if I love him because of the three denials. He's just thrown my mistake away. I can look at him in the eyes again. So Jesus forgives Peter and he essentially says, hey, Peter, Begin again. It's okay. Begin again. The slate is clean. I'm not holding that against you. You're free from it. Begin again. What do you need to begin again? Without any guilt, without beating yourself up, just give yourself some grace and begin again. Maybe it's whatever you decided your New Year's resolution was going to be. Maybe it's something like how hard you work at your job or how much effort you put into it or how hard you work in your marriage or or how hard you try in parenting your kids. And by the way, beginning again isn't an invitation to be lazy. (laughs) It isn't an invitation to not care. It isn't an invitation to not try or to think that our behavior doesn't really matter if we're going to just be forgiven for it anyway, and have the chance to start over. Paul says this in the Romans passage we read a bit ago. He says, should we go on behaving poorly so that we can be shown more grace? He says, no way. We've died to that old stuff. How can we keep doing it? That's not part of us anymore. To begin again isn't an invitation to be lazy or to not care. It's actually an invitation for hard work. And it's interesting because often when when we slack off at something or we give in or uh, we don't do our best, a lot of times there's there's some sort of fear involved in that. 
Fear that we won't be able to do whatever it is we're trying to do or, or fear that a weakness of ours is going to be found out by someone we respect. Or, uh, so we think if we intentionally aren't at our best, then we actually have an excuse if things don't work out or if our kids don't turn out how we want or how others expect or if the company tells us they don't want us working for them anymore or whatever other example you can think of. I remember a time... This is after Michael Jordan retired from basketball for the second time. He's getting interviewed by Ahmad Rashad, and uh, Michael Jordan was talking about how the reason he could perform so well in games, in basketball, was because of how, how, how hard he practiced and, and how hard he prepared. He said, if, if I didn't work that hard in practice, like when it wasn't game day, then I wouldn't be able to do that. And then Ahmad Rashad asked Michael Jordan, he said, you know, was fear of failure ever a motivator for you? Fear of failing, was, did that motivate you? Because they'd been talking about how fear to actually like destroy the competitor was Michael Jordan's motivator. And Michael Jordan, uh, he said something interesting. He said, no, it wasn't. Fear wasn't really a motivator for me. Here's why. He said, work ethic eliminates fear. Work ethic eliminates fear. And I worked so hard to prepare into practice that there was nothing really to be afraid of. See, when we begin again, it takes work. And whatever it is you're afraid of, your physical health or your relationship or your skills, your talents, work ethic, actually trying hard, is one thing that can eliminate fear. And of course, Prayer and grace and help from the Holy Spirit all matter. They're all essential. We need those things. But we also need to actually put in the work. What do you need to begin again? Even if you didn't make a resolution, you can make one now. What can be a healthy change in your life? Or if you need to change your resolution to make it more realistic, that's okay. Begin again. Or let's flip this around. How about this? Is there someone in your life who you need to let begin again? You need to let them begin again. Someone hurt you and you've been holding on to it for a while. Is there someone you just need to show them some grace and some forgiveness and free them from it and let them begin again? What is it that you need to begin again? Is there anyone in your life who you need to actually let them begin again? I hope and I pray that this is a year of beginning again for you. A couple months ago, I was listening to a teaching from this wise woman, and, and she said this line in her teaching that I've been saying to myself, myself ever since. It's brilliant. This is the line she said. How you live today is how you live your life. Think about that. How you live today is how you live your life. And what she really meant was this whole idea of, oh, I can just engage in this particular behavior or this lifestyle today, and I'll just stop tomorrow, no problem. Or, oh, I can neglect taking care of my mind, my body, my soul, whatever, today, and I'll jump in with both feet tomorrow. And she essentially says, that's a farce. <laughs> because how you live today is how you live your life. How you live today actually affects and informs 
how you will live tomorrow. And we're not saying that there aren't times to enjoy an extra piece of chocolate or to stay up later than normal watching a movie. I mean, we're not being legalistic about it. That's not what we're saying. But a good general rule is how you live today is how you live your life. Today, if you have the opportunity to speak poorly about someone, and maybe you actually have like a reason to, remember, how you live today is how you live your life. Today, if you're tempted to, to take something in, that isn't yours, remember, how you live today is how you live your life. If fast food for dinner sounds good for the fifth time this week, how you live today is how you live your life. If you know you need to get in shape and your thought is, the gym will be there tomorrow. Yeah, sure it will. But how you live today is how you live your life. And to put off any healthy changes for yourself is dangerous. There's an, there's an urgency to this. Begin again now. Begin again today. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Because how you live today is how you live your life. We've all heard that Thomas Edison made 1,000 unsuccessful attempts at inventing the light bulb before he actually succeeded at it. And at one point, and I, didn't, I don't think I knew this before, I read this recently, at one point, a reporter asked Thomas Edison, he said, how did it feel to fail 1,000 times? And Thomas Edison's response was, I didn't fail 1,000 times. The light bulb was an invention with 1,000 steps. <laughs> what a great line. I didn't, I didn't fail 1,000 times. The light bulb was an invention with 1,000 steps. What is true for you, what is true for everybody, is that you are a creation with an infinite amount of steps. And every single day is a chance to begin again. It's a chance to live in a way that influences how you will live the rest of your life. Every day is a chance to grow, to become more healthy, to have an impact on others, to love, to serve well. So my friends, may you accept the grace that Jesus offers you. Because we'll all need it. <laughs> we'll all need it today. We'll all need it tomorrow. May you begin again. Don't you quit on it, Chris Farley said. May you work hard. And in the words of Paul in Romans, may you too, in this new year, live a new life. This has been What's True for Everybody. Much love to you. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Peace.